Welcome to the most energetic, positive, happy, and healthy podcast in the world. Living the dream. Dream stands for diet, rest, exercise, attitude, and meaning. I'm your host, certified health coach, motivational speaker, sober since July of 2016, American Ninja Warrior competitor, two-time world record holder, and ultra-marathoner, Matt Scaletti. Here we go! Welcome back to the Live in the Dream podcast. I'm Matt Scaletti, and I have an amazingly inspiring, awesome person with me today. Patrice Matamoros has been helping people become more active and healthier by starting and managing multiple running events and programs in Pittsburgh. Under her leadership, she was able to build a thriving running culture in the city of Pittsburgh, now known as the seventh best running city in the United States, according to Runner's World Magazine. As the former CEO of P3R, Pittsburgh's premier organization for promoting running and community health and fitness through large-scale events, races, and education programs, including the Pittsburgh Marathon Weekend. She joined P3R in 2008 as the executive director and successfully helped relaunch the Pittsburgh Marathon over a five-year hiatus. In my words, she basically saved the Pittsburgh Marathon. Throughout her time with the organization, Patrice grew the Dick's Sporting Goods Pittsburgh Marathon weekend of events by over 360% to include over seven events on race weekend and four additional running events throughout the year. She and her team created a successful event management organization that managed all three professional sporting teams running events, Pittsburgh International Airport 5K and the city of Pittsburgh's signature event, The Great Race. Today, over 80,000 runners participate in events managed or produced by P3R, and the annual budget has grown to $8 million. Patrice currently serves on the Sports Management Advisory Board for Robert Morris University, the Advisory Board of the Pittsburgh Knights, and the Board of Directors for Quantum Theater. Patrice left P3R in June of 2019 and is currently consulting with several organizations across the United States. Patrice is a native of Montana, where she was a three-time state champion in cross country and is still listed as one of Montana greats for her running performances. In her spare time, which I don't know how much she has because she's done so much, but she loves spending time with her three kids, exercising and cooking. And I got to tell you, her acknowledgments of her rewards that she's won are so extensive. I can only name four of them for time's sake, but let's just do the four most recent ones. She's the 2019 Woman of Influence in Pittsburgh, 2018 NCS4 Supporting Friend Award winner, 2018 Women's Leadership Award, and the 2017 Woman of Excellence Award. Oh my goodness, am I excited. Welcome, Patrice. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Very excited to be part of your podcast. You're awesome. That's, I think that's, you're just amazing. I'm so excited to dive in here. You're clearly have an insanely impressive bio. What I'm thinking is, can we go back to your childhood and have you always loved running? Have you always loved exercise? What was it like growing up in the home? Well, growing up in Montana was pretty hardcore. We lived in a, in the country and 
So we were pretty self-sufficient. We were we had gardens uh, that we ate food from, and then if we were hungry for meat, we had to go hunt it. So grew up on a lot of venison, elk, and had an acre of potatoes, acre of corn. We had another acre garden. So it was uh, it was a hardworking day in Montana, getting up early and making sure you got things done and doing it the old-fashioned way. Um, and loved, I started running. Um, my dad challenged me to run one day because he has decided to pick up running. And I told him I'd beat him and I could only do a half a mile and he beat me. So I would run with him every day until I could keep up with him and then eventually beat him. And then once you beat him, did he stop running with you? Did he get out of there? <laughs> no, he, you know, he got better. <laughs> so it says, it, maybe it's my crazy mind, but Montana, it sounds like you grew up you know, not around a big city. I'm envisioning, did you have to drive 40 minutes to the closest grocery store? I mean, is that how spread out this was? It was about a half an hour to go to the grocery store. And it was just something that we just didn't do because the family, we were, like I said, self-sufficient. So we just gardened and canned and froze foods and had a root cellar and would stock it in the summer for the winter. You have to tell me, just because we're on the subject of what we talked about before we started recording this, can you tell everyone about a certain two weeks that you had in your in your childhood? <laughs> uh, yes. My dad was, he's a pretty hardcore person and Vietnam vet, and he decided that it was really, really a good idea to make his uh, kids self-sufficient. So he took us out to the Bob Marshall Wilderness and and we left, We needed to live out there for two weeks without food and we needed to figure figure things out. So um, I remember the first night we were starving to death and it took us, I, I think we went to bed at 6, at 8, 6 p.m. that night. Um, after we scouted where the next river body of water was that we could catch fish was because we needed to hike 30 miles the next day. So learned what hunger was from that perspective and also just really got tough and very, very, um, I think, confident and self-confident from that experience. I was just going to ask you what you learned and you just answered it. It's clearly, you learned a ton from it. And that's like baptism by fire, right? Throw you right in there. How old were yeah. you at this time? I was in high school, probably, probably between uh, maybe 13, 15 years old. Okay. So you learned a lot at a young age. That's very cool. Oh yeah, we did. So, so you, you started running against your father and you started getting faster and faster. You clearly had a lot of success in cross country. Did it come right away or did it take a ton of work to get to that amazing success that you had? Well, I think, you know, Matt, from your experiences, it, you don't go to sleep and wake up fast or with muscles or with strength, right? right. It's something that you have to have a habit every day and you have to have a, you have to have a, a want for it too. You need to personally want to achieve goals or to go higher uh, against goals. So for me, it was always like, how much faster can I get? And what can I do? And it wasn't overnight. And that's what people just thought I walked, you know, jumped on the track or jumped on cross country and I was automatically fast. But as you know, success is not waking up to success. It's a building. And some of the luckiest people have worked really hard to get lucky. And you're clearly, so you, and you were one of the best cross country runners in the state of Montana, it sounds like, right? 
Yeah, I won three championships in the state of Montana, and I also uh, still have an award as part of Montana Greats for having an all-time record for uh, cross-country. And what was what did you run? What was the distance? It was just so, and that, and that, and if I have to be honest, this is it. I have the record because it's no longer two miles in cross country. It's three miles. Don't downplay so, it, Patrice. We know so that, you're fast. No, that will never be broken. That's so, great. That's great. I'm a hundred years old and I'll still have a record. <laughs> I think that's so, awesome. But you are, you're yeah. no slouch. You are clearly a very, very good runner. So, so you, you were a runner when you're younger and then there was, it wasn't like you just became the head of the Pittsburgh marathon. What, what was that, the gap in between that kept you busy and, and did you always have that want to be in the running world your entire life? Yeah, so I, my career in running stopped in year two. I got of college. I had a full scholarship, and I tore my labrum in my hip. And oh. so it kind of was the, the deal killer for me. And um, I had just qualified for the Olympic trials and all done. And then uh, after nice. that, I kind of wandered around figuring out what I wanted to do. And then I realized that the things that I had learned from training and running at a, at a, at a high level were the same things that you could do in business. So what I did was I really focused on what I was going to do next and put in long hours, long, you know, just training hours, only your work hours, you know, you've got to do your hills, you've got to do your distance, you got to do your speed and there's no shortcuts. So I applied that same tenacity to my professional life and was, I ended up working for a division of Ford Motor Company as an entry level kind of management role and quickly um, grew into a sales role and um, actually went, you know, I did really well in sales, ended up being a region associate, managing seven other, uh, seven other facilities. And then um, I was on a team for a $50 million account. Then I had, I decided after that I wanted to have kids and or well while I was still working and I my plan was to work and have kids but I once I had the baby I just, I couldn't do it. Oh yeah. So I just was like okay so now I'm just going to have babies so I had three kids in less than 4 years. Oh. And uh, I ended up doing a lot of fundraising because it was a way that I could keep my skill set home with kids in tow and it was volunteer work. So um, I'm being very self-sufficient from my background. I uh, just worked nonprofits for 10 years and raised enough money in, in Pittsburgh and for different organizations that uh, somebody noticed what I was doing and said, hey, would you be interested in the marathon? Because I put together a running club for the kids at school. And I, so it was like a dream. It was serendipitous because I miss running so much. And since then, I've had two, or I've had a hip replacement. I broke my femur in, and um, had a broken sacrum. So I can't run, but I do other things instead. And this was my way of staying and running. And it was like a dream for me. So I was excited. That's so you got so you worked at Ford, then you had kids, and then. Once you start raising money for eight or 10 years with a ton of success, Pittsburgh Marathon reaches out. and But you become, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you become the CEO of this P3R, the Pittsburgh Marathon. 
when there wasn't even a marathon, right? So it was your job to go from zero to a successful marathon. How do you exactly. take that on? Well, I, I'm motivated, right? I'm really motivated. Yes. It's a lifetime opportunity to be offered a dream job, correct? And so, and then the person who was offering it was a new friend of mine whose kids were in elementary school in the running club I'd started. And she's like, oh, do you like running? And I'm like, yeah, I love running, but I just can't. And she's like, well, I'm working on the marathon. Would you be interested in helping? And I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I would love that. So about two weeks, we had some phone calls. And then she called me and she said, guess what? She had lymphoma and she needed a stem cell transplant. So, so it was da, 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 here you are, Patrice, you know, and I was looking at it as such a giant challenge and so exciting and uh, scared, which is always good. And so I went into it, but there was nothing in place at all. Um, There were some about four or five members in the community who were putting together a board there were some verbal conversations with sponsors. So I came in and I did it on my credit card for the first six months because I did not have the sponsorships in yet. And I didn't have a doubt that I would bring it in because I know my ability in sales. I really do. So I was working as really hard trying to nail sponsorships and get contracts and get money in the door. So obviously that happened, but I needed to raise a million dollars in less than a year. Oh my goodness. So you're, so you're putting thousands of dollars on this credit card. Just basically you're betting on yourself. Is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So when, (laughs) when did you, when did you realize I'm not going to go bankrupt? I'm going to be okay because I'm raising enough money. I just had the faith that I was going to do it and the, the mindset that it, I was gonna, it was going to happen. So I made my great failure stories. I made 546 phone calls that first year and I, own, I had 530 no's for the marathon. Wow. Five, so, oh, year one, 546 phone calls, 530 don't come no. I don't want any part of this. Right. So you kind of have to have thick skin, right? And so you kind of have to go in if you're going to do something knowing in order to succeed, you have to double your failure rate, right? So, so that's what, um, you know, I had a lot of no's for a while and thankfully everything turned out really successfully and everything was great, but you know, it was a team effort. It was an amazing team that was behind me. So I I just have to ask because I think this is a huge part of your story you get what 16 people out of 546 say yes was there ever days where you're driving home thinking oh my god what am I doing or did you have a mindset the whole time of okay the next one's gonna say yes the next one's gonna say yes no I just knew I had to make a ton of calls to get a yes so I don't look at it as, oh my gosh, this guy said no and we'll never make it or, oh, maybe it's not worth it. I never looked at it that way. I just looked at, holy cow, I've got to double down on phone calls tomorrow or I've got to, I got to figure out where I'm going to get the money. Um, and thankfully, uh, Runners was part of that deal too. So registration was a part of that revenue stream and registration was doing well because of the boom, the running boom. 
So it went like, so it went really great, but you really have to keep the inside negative voice from running around in your head. You have to shut that voice down and you have to say, all right, what am I going to do to get one yes? And you know, that means I have to make 500 phone calls. Okay, well, I'll make 500 phone calls to get the yes. I, I, I'm, I'm writing this down because I'm thinking you were asking yourself a better question, right? Like somebody may say, why does everyone keep saying no? You know, why am I failing? But you ask yourself, what do I need to do to get a yes? I love that question to yourself. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, like especially the first three years, it was work, 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 and come home, get the kids fed, get oversee the night activities, and then jump back on the couch and work until I woke up on the couch and then I worked some more and then I got up and went to work. Is that so. what it was for three years? It was, well, was the first year a quote unquote success in the Pittsburgh marathon or did it take a few years for it to catch on? Uh, first year was right out of the gates. We had 10,500 runners. So, you know, the day of reckoning was race day. We had, a uh, record number of runners. It, there was a running boom, so I was fortunate in that in that manner. But um, on race day, you know, you've built something and you've put your heart and soul into something, and you've begged all your friends to help you. I felt <laughs> like Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz collecting friends along the way to see the wizard. And the day that the wizard was there, I mean, you got to think about it. You put all your work into one day. So if that day sucks. <laughs> Her whole year, just like, it just is not satisfying. But um, in all accounts, that first year was probably the best year because we didn't know what we didn't know. And when we saw on race day what happened with what, how to, you know, crowd control and everything. And we had everybody running through the finish line, babies and dogs and skateboards. And <laughs> before we had, you know, so, and all the plans that we thought we had nailed down that weren't really nailed down. So it was a uh, failures from internal perspective in an internal perspective from an external perspective, runners were so happy that the marathon was back that they were like, five stars, this is the best, this is they were just excited. So I was like, really? Oh my gosh, we better get serious about this and make it better next year. So I'm so glad you said that because I want to ask you how you continuously make it better every year. Uh, but I also want to throw in a story. I ran the half marathon in 2010 with my brother. And just for everyone listening, the environment in the city of Pittsburgh, I mean, I love Pittsburgh as it is, but with the random people coming out of their house, which I was one of those for a bunch of years, just cheering on people they didn't even know, it's this wave of positive energy that just engulfs the whole city. And it's, it's amazing. It's still, I believe, the greatest day in the city of Pittsburgh with that amount of people and that many smiling faces and that much encouragement. It's just, it's hard to explain. It's that awesome of a day. So kudos to you for making that happen, Patrice. Well, thank you. But, but how do you, back to the original question, how do you improve every year? So after the first one's done or the second one's done, you get together with the team and then you guys say, how'd this go? How'd that go? What can we approve on? Is there like a after marathon like get together? Oh yeah. I, I always a get together. So because so and I think the big big important thing about the marathon is it became a just cause right it became something that people wanted to 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 see it 
see it through. They wanted it back in Pittsburgh. The people working on the marathon were passionate about making it a success. So you take that great team approach and, you know, it's, it became our Super Bowl team. So your first year, you're running on a shoestring, you're using your own credit card, and you know that's not a good long-term plan, right? So next year, you're, you're okay, we've got to hire some people. By year three, you're realizing, you know, if we're going to do this right, I can't count on volunteers to come out every year. I can't count on independent contractors. I need to have staff. So then it's like building out because if you don't have a full-time staff of people who see each event through there, so it, because it's so expensive, you're never going to have continuous improvements and you're never going to continue to improve. So we did, um, we did uh, reviews after every single marathon. And I, the first years, I mean, uh, you quit counting at 20 pages because there were not many issues that we had. So we would figure out, okay, what are the next things we're going to solve this year? Let's pick five more things to solve. The five most crucial things on that list. So you, that's all you're focusing on. You, you boil it down, separate out those five things, and you nail those five things. And then the next year, you nail them again. So I think that was the key part, but it was the team and building a huge team that was really equally as vested as I was because you're building something from scratch. So, you know, it is what it is. You certainly did build it from scratch. So that's, I mean, that's awesome insight with the after event, you getting together and focus on the five things instead of 74 things. And I'm sure you get overwhelmed if you do that. Um, so as this, as this marathon is growing and clearly it's successful, it's, it's been successful for the, what was it, 12 years you were there? 11 years? 11 years, yeah. 11 years. So it, it you know, kept getting bigger and bigger every year and a, a more amazing day every year. As, it, as this is happening, could you enjoy these moments? I'm sure on the marathon day, you're running around like crazy. Actually, I know that because I've seen you that day, but... Um, did you get a chance to enjoy these moments and realize the impact you were having on our city? I think, yeah, I think all of us planning did see it and that's what gave us such joy to do it the, again the next year, right? It's kind of like having a baby. You do something really hard, give, you know, you see, oh my gosh, I can't live, you know, this is such an amazing experience. This is so great. Look at all these people, look how happy, you know, and, and that's what gives you satisfaction. But behind the scenes, we're always looking at, oh, we'll do that again next year or making note of this for this year, taking pictures, making sure. But it's also focusing on like little detail, like how far you go into the weeds, right? What are the things that are going to bury you? And you focus on those things. What are the things that are superficial? And if you have time to focus, great. But if not, not a big deal. So we focused, like our last probably three years have been really remarkable. Um, I think all of our hard work paid off. Um, operations were really great. Uh, we developed systems and processes for the marathon and, and how the operations rolled out because you have to have a plan and you have to have a blueprint. Otherwise, you can't improve year after year. Love it. There's, there's so much in here. I'm sitting here like wanting to remember all this stuff and write it down myself. <laughs> this is so good. Um, how you mentioned a few things. One of them was scared equals good. It was something like if you're scared, you're, that's a good thing. You need to attack that. How do you do things 
whether it's with your own running experience or with the Pittsburgh Marathon, how do you get yourself to do things you don't necessarily want to do? Is, is, there a, is there a tip you can give listeners and watchers on that? I always envision the end item, right? A perfect race day. And then you work backwards. Mm. So you can't, because, and then you're working. I also find like a, something that like planning a marathon is overwhelming. You just have to do one day at a time, right? You have to do, and you're setting your, you set your goals. Where do you want to go? And then what are the things that are going to get you there? What are the things that have to be nailed for you to succeed? Um, on a big picture level and then you start drafting goals and if you're like I mean I just have gone back to my five things a day principle of you have to do five things that move you forward every single day right otherwise you're gonna spin yeah you're gonna spin and so you get busy and you don't go to bed till those five things are nailed and you know you're working towards a bigger goal then right otherwise you're going to spend another day and then the goal is going to seem even more overwhelming. And then you're going to settle for something eventually if you don't keep moving forward. So you have to do five things a day to move your, your goals forward. You write that down in the morning every single day. Is that one of your routines? Like I do a, a month plan. What are the big things I need to get done this month to move myself forward? And then on a daily, and then you're going on a weekly plan because it's just like putting in miles on the road if you're a runner, right? If you don't know how you're going to, you envision the 26 miles and you figure out what's it going to take and you research training plans and you, you write your notes on, oh, this, this training plan was good, this one's bad. So that's what I do is I'll just put together that big goal and then I'll look at it and say, okay, I need to log hundred miles a week or 50 miles a week and put it into time, right? You need to log 50 hours a week to get this much done. And by the end of the month, this much should be done. And less, and there's always, you know, you're going to underestimate a lot of time. Thank <laughs> you. So you have to take that into account and roll those over. But I always see, and then you have to make your day plan. And it's also, it's so important not to just go work, work, work. You have to have that balance what am I going to do for my body today? What am I going to do for my mind today? And what am I going to do for my free time today? And what am I going to do to move myself forward today? I love that. So are those all of the five things that you write down, those could be in any aspect of your life or are those just on business? On business specifically, because yeah. it's, we get off track, but I just have, I think I, once I set a mental goal of physical, right? And I think no matter what, I have to get exercise in because what you think of the consequences of getting exercise and the consequences of not getting exercise, right? Do you want to look good in those clothes? Do you want to be able to be fit and active or do you want to have to go buy a new clothes because you can't fit in them? So for me, it drives me every day. To, what am I going to do? physically and what are my challenges my daughter always she is a i'm on a 50 push up a day challenge with her right now so how do i get those in i mean and that's the the beauty of it you create your own system right so for me thinking of doing 50 push-ups at one time i'll put it off all day right but you can't do that if you're going to establish a pattern and a habit you have to tie it to something else 
So you wake up and you do your 10, eat your breakfast and you do 10 more, right? You do 10 more after lunch and you do 10 after dinner and you do 10 before you go to bed. You got your 50. I love that. Break it down into smaller chunks too, right? Exactly. I think that, I think for, I don't know what your thoughts are. You're clearly a much uh, more uh, experienced runner than me, but when I run a marathon, I often tell people I'm not running 26 miles. I'm running one mile 26 plus times. And just so you, I break it down and without getting overwhelmed. So that's great feedback. I mean, what a, you run your day and you don't let your day run you, right? Right. And that's the hard part because it just gets, it just kind of gets crazy. If you don't manage it, it manages you. Yeah. That's, that's so many good insights in there. I'm thinking, sounds like, so you, you know what outcome you want and then you just reverse engineer what you need to do to get there. Exactly. That's such a great idea. Oh, that's so good. So you've, you've clearly shown an insane amount of leadership in the Pittsburgh marathon and P3R. I'd love to just talk about leadership for a little bit because to me, you just seem like one of the best leaders that I know, if not the best, how, how do you, how do you become a good leader? Well, I think you have to really define leadership and what it means to you and looking at examples of who good leaders are and what are bad leaders or people you don't want to be like, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not focusing on what you don't want to happen. It's focusing on what you do want to happen, right? So in order, like I always say, in order to lead in uncertain times, you know, which every leader is in uncertain times because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. My key things were number one is I needed to be kind and being kind is so important in life. And I think it comes back to you and I want more kindness coming back to me. But, you know, when in year one, I wanted to run in the North Shore, right? With the, in the Pirates, I went to a meeting going, oh, hey, you know, I just am here to talk about how we can work together. And their director of security said, we're not going to work together. And said, no, you can't run in the North Shore, right? So you still have to be kind, even though you're like, what do you mean? And (laughs) I had, you know, and kindness eventually got me there. It took I, three years, three years to be, so you have to be in for the long haul of being kind, right? And people who may be reacting, you know, I, I look at it as I have an opportunity to be positive and, and put a positive experience into front of them. So kindness has always worked. Um, some Find something good in everyone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're dealing with people that are hard to deal with, and all you're thinking about is that you don't like them and you, you can't stand them, but you have to find something good. If you're busy trying to find something good about them, you're not going to focus on that negative behavior and you can shift their negative behavior against you. So we had a famous traffic engineer who shut me down forever. And I had to think like, what? okay, I need to find something good, find something good. And eventually Um, I found something good, our relationship changed, and focused on the good part. And so I got street shut down. So again, it's a long haul. And then smile and maintain your composure. That's such a huge part. Another example was, you know, we got a call from the police chief one night before the marathon. And 
there was a there was a threat at the start line for the the stage specifically it was a very specific threat um with the county exec and the and peduto speaking the next morning so we had to reconfigure our start line that night but in order to do that i can only i have to be maintain my composure maintain what we're doing and be pro so the people who I asked to help me do that, because I could only choose a small amount of people to do it, that I could envision maintaining that professional level and that composure. Um, so it's showing up on race day, knowing you've got the threat. Your team knows they've got the threat, but they're, they're, everybody's composed and everybody's pro and you wouldn't even know it. So I'm doing interviews at 4 a.m., my team's doing their jobs at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. We've got snipers on the roof. We've got sweeps going on. And that is really, you have to think through yourself as like, how, if you're reading about yourself in a book, do you want to be the out of control? Oh, my God, you won't believe what's happening to me. Or do you want to be the person who says, uh, you know, has James Bond. I'd rather be the James Bond, right, than the person. I've seen too many leaders who lead by being the one, and I've never needed to be the one because it's a, it's a mass effort. And so that's a key to differentiating thing. And then thinking from other people's perspectives. So, you know, you've got to have compassion sometimes for people. When people are upset with you and you want to lash back, you have to think through, like, how do they think? And what kind of problem is this? You know, some ladies really upset because something happened, blah, blah, blah. And what do you, and my thing was always to empower people to make those decisions of, Hey, if you need to refund that registration to make her a happy customer and to make her go away or him pay to, I'd say pay to make them go away, make them happy as happy as you can and get and let, and listen, respond by giving them something and hoping they go away. So that's important. Um, laughing at yourself, right? And that's, <laughs> that's a good one. Being able to laugh always at yourself. And we used to say on race weekend, my big advice was whatever trauma and drama is happening, remember it, write it down, take a picture so we can laugh about it after race weekend. <laughs> so, you know, giant, it's going to be horrible. We'll find something to laugh at. So now the terror of a dumpster fire is something that we take pictures and video of so we can show at the next staff meeting. <laughs> so, and um, with the words, you know, uh, and then uh, new people, I used to say, write down the words that you want others to describe you as. Mm. Are you brave? Are you confident? Are you happy? Are you sad? How do you want people to describe you? Give me the five words and those are your, that's your brand. And every time you're off brand, I'll just let you know. It's a lot nicer to say, hey, you're off brand today. Remember, you're brave. Or, hey, remember, you're happy. You're off brand. You need to do something to make yourself happy. What can we do? Um, so it's looking at that and then also visualize what that success is. We'd have goals, departmental goals, individual goals. What's everybody doing on Monday? What are our goals by Friday? So those are leadership you know, those are examples of how the aspects that I find important in leading. That was, that is unbelievably powerful. I'm right. I'm trying to write down as much as you said. I'll watch this back, but I love that idea of writing down 
words you want people to describe you and think about four or five words. I'm thinking about four or five words of what I want people to say about me. That's that's could be really powerful. And then to me, it almost feels like if you tell someone they're you know off brand, it doesn't feel like it's a personal dig at them either. It just feels like they're different from what their brand says. So that that's a great idea. That's so smart. And then reading about yourself in your own book, how do you want? How would you want to read about yourself? Th- those are. There's a lot of gems right there. I appreciate that, Patrice. Uh, okay, so let's stay on leadership because this is so good. What about, what What have you learned from leading so many others? Well, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that people don't see themselves as leaders because they think leading takes um, something that they don't have. They think they have to be confrontational. They think they have to be in your face. They Maybe they have leaders that they're like, you know, they didn't like that yelled at them or that were not, you know, good leaders. Um, and they think they need to be like that as a leader and they're just not like that. And I, you know, I'm, I say, yeah, you can, because how you have to re- you have to rethink, you know, no doesn't have to be confrontational, mm. right? Mm. You can say, oh my, I'm so glad you asked me that. And, you know, that's a question we get sometimes. And, you know, we're looking at that and we just can't do that right now. I'm so sorry. Right? That's a no said in a nice way. And the other thing would be is don't tell them what they can't do. That's what people, a lot of people focus on. They want to be the, you know, the boss and the teacher. And you can't do that. A rule follower. All I'd say is you can still be the rule person tell them what they can do oh i want to have my pet elephant run as a service animal in the marathon oh okay that's fantastic here's our process for that here are the things that we need from you in order to have a service animal in the marathon 90 times nine times out of ten they would never do what it was needed for on their end Mm -hmm. to make that happen um and if you would have said no they would have said that was their basic right um, to have that service animal. And if they did submit the paperwork and qualified, they ran with the ele- with an elephant. But you know, <laughs> saying you know, so that's one. And then speaking honestly doesn't have to be mean. So you know, a lot of times people, you know, in our organization, we could only afford young college graduates. So you know, when they would we would do these self reviews before we would do a review to see how they rated themselves and kind of where their, what their perspective of themselves was. And a lot of them rated themselves as a five out of a five on a lot of different categories. And a manager may come and say, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to tell this person because they rated themselves a five on everything. And I'd say, well, let's look at each category and decide what behaviors weren't a five. So instead of telling them, oh no, you're a two, We would say, oh, hey, you know what? In order to get a five in this area, here are the things that you would need to do. And this would represent a perfect score. And a lot of times they go, oh, I didn't know. And it gave them something to achieve, to strive higher for. Instead of knocking them down, you just, you give them a new goal and you say, let's see if we can get you to a three this year. And here are the next quarter and here's what you need to do. Um, And then, you know, speaking up, you don't have to be rude. You really don't. You don't have to be offended. People don't, you don't have to be mad, but you can say it in such a great way 
that you get your point across and everybody will jump on your bandwagon if you're saying it in a nice way and you're saying, oh, wait a minute, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, ask a question, a defining question and people are like, yeah, I was wondering that too. You know, that's a good thing. But, um, you know, speaking out doesn't have to be inappropriate. You can say it in a nice way. You don't have to, excuse me, but you cut in front of me or excuse me, the line is back here. Instead of saying, you know, hey, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? You assume the worst of somebody, assume the best. Like me, I would cut in line, but I wouldn't do it on purpose. I just didn't see the little dot where I needed to stand. Mm -hmm. And once I was told where to stand, I went there. You know, so standing up for yourself doesn't have to be crazy. You can stand up for yourself in such a great way that, you know, I think that it's figuring out what your brand is again and figuring out how you want to stand up for yourself. And you don't have to stand up in the middle of the room and say, I'm offended or this is this. But there's ways that you should practice. You should practice how to respond. So that's unbelievably awesome that, that is and i'm assuming you learned all of those and, and maybe sometimes you learned the hard way i don't know but you learned all those through your 11 plus years working at the marathon and building your own team right exactly yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, that is that's some powerful stuff and i'll throw this out there too i know years ago i may have listened to that and thought yeah but like i'm not really a leader I don't know what you think, Patrice, but to me, I mean, everybody is a leader at some point in their life or in their lifestyle. If you're leading your kids or your leader at work or somebody's always watching somebody else. So you may be leading without even knowing it. Do you feel like there's a lot more leaders out there than we give credit for or? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody is a leader, right? Every You're right. Everybody's a leader. And I say, Um, And you have to lead in all aspects of your life because it'll cover other areas of your life. So start by leading with personal decisions, right? So we had a runner who lost 100 pounds who, you know, was uh, like just average at work and low self-confidence and didn't want to go out in public, didn't want to do anything, didn't want to go anywhere, started running, lost 100 pounds, Uh, is a manager now is uh, you know, she is, she helps inspire other people. She goes out all the time. She has a ton of friends now. And it was because she chose to lead in one aspect of her life. And you can do that as a parent, as a friend, as a sister, as a brother, you can lead. So So, and partially in her leading in one area of her life that bled into other areas? Is that one of the things you saw? In five years, she went from being, uh, you know, insecure, not confident, not in a leadership role at work into a manager, confident friends, outings, very active. Those are, I mean, those are probably the types of stories that made your job even more fun hearing those inspirational stories. Yeah, it did. I mean, that's what we used to say. We used to say, that we're putting in our miles as hours in the in the office for those people who are going to do something incredible with their day and their life. 
Oh, I love that. That's so good. So here's how I, one of the reasons I know you're a great leader is every time before we recorded, I, I asked you about leadership, you kept passing the kudos to your teammates. And I think that's just, to me, that's proof that you're such a humble leader. And I had to ask about what type of team did you build around you? And do you have, do you have any ideas for people that are building teams on who they should put around themselves? Uh, you know what? Sometimes you, you would ideally want, you know, to pick your own team and you don't have that luxury in a lot of time, in a lot of situations, right? Mm -hmm. I always look at, well, think of a high school football coach or track and cross country coach or basketball coach who ends up having a winning team for five years or eight years in a row. That coach never got to choose their player. So, you know, I think that's the big thing is a lot of times we can only afford a high school student or somebody who was willing to work for less than what they were worth and or just because they wanted the opportunity to work at the marathon and to do what they did and to do what we did. So I always said it's our job to develop our team and you have to look at your team as like pretend you're a Super Bowl team, right? you're going to have to develop your linebacker. You're going to have to help um, provide the training. You're going to have to provide the mental imagery. You're going to have to provide all aspects, food and diet and nutrition. I mean, to a certain extent, you need to help develop your players out so that you can go to the Super Bowl and having a, a winning team. And you, you know, if they're not, you pick a person for a role, you find out their aptitude is something else. If you can shift them, you can shift them into that other aptitude, into that other role to be more effective. But if you don't have that luxury, sometimes they're going to have to play as a linebacker if they're a fullback or, you know, you're going to have to develop them in different categories and find a way to bring out their strengths. So really working with multifunctional teams, it's some person has an aptitude for every single role that you need to have filled. And you definitely don't want, if you're a quarterback and you're like, I just want to hire a bunch of quarterbacks. You can't, you can't <laughs> because you can't, you won't win. Mm -hmm. So you have to hire people that aren't like you. You have to hire, hire people with other skill sets. And I think that's the biggest, hugest thing is my team. It was the team that executed the success as a whole. It was not me. It was the team because I, I got the credit for it. But if you put me in charge of the marathon only and nobody you know, nobody else, or you put a bunch of me's in charge of the marathon, there would be a lot of shortfalls. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so, and then celebrate success, right? Mm -hmm. It's super important. Review performance. And it's just like, you know, when you used to watch films of the game or you watch – you have to review a player or a teammate often. And, you know, in work, it's common to say, oh, once a year you get your review. Well, yeah. my, my thing was every couple of months, we're going to work on something and then we'll do a review on that. And at the end of the year, the development of that person was significant. That's a, and how did they respond? Because I'm assuming for most of those people, it was a new idea to hear every couple months who work on something new. Were they mostly excited to improve on themselves or did you ever get pushback with that, that type of leadership? 
I think yes and no. I think sometimes they would feel like, oh, do we have to do this again? <laughs> and, you know, like, but I think at the end, they they got something out of it because they got that one-on-one -on -one attention. And oftentimes, whatever we were working with, my favorite group of um, little books are the Harvard Business Review books. Mm -hmm. So it's providing um, materials to read on maybe a problem that they were having. And we'd be like, okay, you know what? Let's read chapter two for tomorrow's meeting. And let's talk about this. And it was funny because sometimes they'd come into the office and they'd go, oh my gosh, I've learned so much. I do this. And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> That's but it wasn't, it wasn't me teaching it. And it wasn't me coming down. They were learning it and and taking accountability for a certain behavior on their own, which was empowering to them. And I think that was where the gift was. That's the gift. That's a huge takeaway. Yeah. And that accountability is a huge thing. Of course they did. You were, and you won't say it because of how humble you are, but you helped them move themselves along in that process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so you've, I mean, you clearly made, in my opinion, the Pittsburgh marathon or, or helped make the Pittsburgh marathon what it is today. What's, as we read in your bio, you decided to leave P3R in the summer of 2019. What's next and what's on the horizon? And this is kind of a big question wrapped up into one, but we're in the middle of this, you know, end of summer 2020, COVID-19 still out there. How are you adapting to this and what's next in your world? Well, yeah, it's kind of tricky, you know, with COVID-19, you know, what do you want? It's been, it can be hard because you're alone. Now, the thing that I've been doing, I've been working uh, as a consultant for the last year uh, for for-profits and non-profits. And my primary um, client before COVID-19 was other marathons. Mm -hmm. So I'd been working with other marathon board of directors and um, helping identify ancillary revenue streams and trying to build out a model like somewhat of what we built out because they saw the success that we had. So I was working with the marathons and then COVID hit and all marathons have been canceled. So my whole revenue stream, I think I just ended, my revenue streams just ended. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like, so it's tricky. I never ever take the straight path, right? <laughs> and I'm like, dang, should I have stayed in there for one more year? I wouldn't even have to do a marathon. <laughs> but, but I know that um, I'm just, I'm in, you know, this is part of me learning on what's next. And it's part of me spinning a bit and experimenting with what I want to do next. And I think where my sweet spot is, is I've been helping quite a lot of individual people uh, with person, you know, with their goals and uh, professional goals and then I've been speaking with corporations, um, with women's professional developments and women's leadership. And I really love that aspect of what I'm doing because I really love to help people. And I really love to the thought of being a coach to get somebody further ahead and to open up channels for them that they, they didn't have open before. So I'm uh, talking with the Rutgers University right now and we'll maybe joining an executive team for uh, getting my international certification for executive coaching. Oh, wow. um, 
So that's the, the latest. And then I'm also working with an entrepreneur who has developed something for the, in, for the running industry who I'm helping him with as an advisor. And so I've got things and I've worked with a nonprofit. They had a real event that I turned virtual in for them. So I've got things moving and going on. Uh, so it's just, uh, like I said, I have to write those five things down and I have to stick with those five things a day because when I don't do it, I, I deviate from my path. So I'm zigging and zagging. But as long as I get to my goal, right, everybody's going to zig and zag, but I need to still keep my eye on the goal. So the goal is to continue doing what I'm doing and then um, feed it. I love that. And so you're doing, not to put you on the spot, but you're doing some one-on-one coaching as well? Yes. Oh, that's great. So if people, like if someone's listening to this and they either in the business world or they want growth in their business, what's what's a way somebody can reach out to you if somebody's listening and just thinks i need patrice to help me out well first they can reach out to you and then you can connect them to me or you can email me at this point um patrice p-a-t-r-i-c-e m like mary m-a-t-a-m-o-r-o-s at gmail.com okay that's perfect and yes they can reach out to me too and i'm happy to connect you guys so that's that's awesome that it seems like I was excited to ask you that question because it seems like in the face of adversity through your prior experience, you've been able to pivot and make changes on the fly to help, help you and help others. Yes. Yeah. So far, so good. Right, so. Yeah, that's, this is exciting. This is so the insights you've given over the last half hour or so have been incredible. So in, I want to respect your time and I want to wrap up with, what I call the power five. So it's going to be a quick five questions about different areas of life. And we'll see how you respond to these. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm excited to hear what you're going to say. Okay. First one I'm probably most excited for, which is how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as somebody who cared, somebody who made a difference, somebody who, was a leader, somebody who changed lives, and somebody who was a positive force in the universe. Well, congratulations. I think you've checked all five of those boxes, so you're doing it. <laughs> you're living. Yeah, that's true. You're living proof of that. What do you, it could be in your personal life, business life, anything. What are you most thankful for? Oh, I love my kids. I'm so thankful for my kids. And, but I'm just so thankful for what I have every single day and just for waking up. But I'm so thankful for the relationships I have. I'm thankful for my kids and thankful for, you know, just every single day that I get here. I love that. You can just see, I'm looking at your face. You can just see you're lighting up with that response. That's really cool. Okay. So somebody sees Patrice at a wedding reception, what is your best dance move that we'll be seeing you pulling off? <laughs> a jitterbug. Oh, really? You had a boom yeah. right yeah. away. Yeah. You're good at the jitterbug. Uh-huh. You're going to make me YouTube jitterbug. I think I can picture it, but I'm going to have to look that up. I want to see that. I'll Google it. <laughs> I'll Google it. What's the, what's the biggest setback that you've overcome in your life? 
Um, I think it's a physical elements. Uh, you know, I had a hip replacement, my femur broke, and then I, I recovered, got a trainer, went to go skiing, and then a snowboarder hit me and broke oh. my sacrum and pelvis. So, um, so physically, like I haven't been able to run uh, since my labrum and I've been just banged up. And so I think that's the biggest thing that I deal with and I'm overcoming it by just moving. I have goals to move every day and to get stronger. And I would love to be able to run, even if it's just hobbling along for a bit. But, you know, those are the biggest setbacks that I've had are physical setbacks because I'm a really active person. I like to be active. And I think it also puts me in the shoes too and seeing how maybe people who aren't in shape have a surgery and then they don't, you know, they aren't physically active. And I can see how it would happen because I know it hurts and I know it's hard, but it's what you have to do. So helping people in that realm would really be exciting to me too. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great response. And I can't help but think that, I mean, I've been blessed to, you know, be able to do a lot of running events now and I can't help but think of people who, who cannot run or cannot do something physical. And that's a part of why it drives me because I know I feel bad for them. And also I'll be there at some point in my life. Like I'm not going to be running forever. I don't know how many years or days or hours I have left. So we got to live up every single moment, right? Exactly. Oh, I love it. Okay. Last one. Who is your hero? Hmm. <laughs> my hero. You can't say, uh, you can't say yourself because you're uh, my hero. So <laughs> I don't Ah, that's a tough one. Did you have someone like growing up? Did, was there anyone that you looked up to or you thought e even you took my grandmother? On? I'd say, you know what? My grandmother. Yeah. Hmm. Amazing grandmother. Yeah. Is, she, there, is, there, is there one I'm, aspect about her that sticks out? Unconditional love and kindness. Oh, that's powerful. Your so. grandmother. That's a great response. Unconditional love. That's the, that's the ultimate, right? That's the peak. It is. And true. She was a true lady. Mm -hmm. oh, I love that. Well, that's a perfect response and a perfect way to wrap this thing up. Thank you so much for your time, Patrice. Is there, if somebody wants to follow your journey, are you active on any social media or is there any way people can follow up with you if they want? Yeah, just to click on uh, LinkedIn. Um, I'm mm -hmm. not particularly active on social media, um, but LinkedIn it would probably be the modality in which I will be updating things periodically. LinkedIn, and we'll put that in the show notes too. We'll put your LinkedIn info so we can get people connected to you because you're, you're fun to just be a part of your world. You're inspiring and you're motivating and there's 450 takeaways that I need to rewatch this and write down. So thank you for all of them. <laughs> Thank you. Keep crushing it. Keep 10 x in. 10 x in. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Patrice. Thanks for listening to another episode of Living the Dream with Matt Scaletti. I'm so grateful for you. Please share this podcast on your social media so others can benefit from this valuable content. Also, please subscribe to my podcast because if you aren't, I am watching you. <laughs> Check me out on social media and message me if you need me as your keynote speaker at Matt Scaletti on social media. I respond to all messages. Thanks and I love you so much.